So, so the, the book of Ruth, like I was saying, yeah, the book of Ruth, the Ruth is uh, one of two books in the Bible named after women, uh, the, for the other one being, being Esther. And the book of Ruth, again, it wasn't written by Ruth, but it was, uh, it's dedicated to, to her life. And, and you know, as, as we go through the book of Ruth, we're going to see that, 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 that Ruth is mentioned about 12 times from chapter 1 to chapter 4. The book's only four chapters. It's super small. You could read it in, t- in, in, in a sitting, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes you could read through it. But her name is mentioned 12 times in the book of, in, in her book, in this book, the book of Ruth. And then her name is mentioned again in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll get into, into that a little bit later on. So she's mentioned again in, back in, now in the New Testament. The book of Ruth, uh, the events that we're, that we're about to read about, uh, they took place during the times of the judges, which is uh, in the history of the nation of Israel. It sets them right before, uh, the, right before the period of, of when Israel had a king. So when the children of Israel came out of captivity, when they came out of Egypt, they were wandering the desert for 40 years until, until they got to the, to the place called the promised land where God uh, called them to inherit that land. And so uh, it took them 40 years from, from when they came out of Egypt and they went to the promised land and then they, they didn't have a king. They didn't have a king, you know, but they were ruled by, by what's known as judges. And so, and so God set up these men among the nation of Israel, among all the tribes. He sets up, he sets up these men, uh, he calls them judges, amongst the people. And that's what they were. They, they were judges. You know, they weren't kings. They weren't, uh, they, they, they weren't like anything like that. But they were, they were the, 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 the law, so to say. You know, they were kind of like the governing authority there amongst the children of Israel, these judges. And then after the period of the judges, you know, we get into the period of the kings, you know, and then, uh, which is, starts in the book of 1 Samuel. And the first king of Israel was a, a guy by the name of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. But before all that, there was this period of the judges. And so this is when this takes place. It takes place during the period of the judges. And so it's, the book of Ruth is actually believed to be written by one of the judges, uh, a prophet by the name of Samuel, uh, shortly before the reign of David or, or shortly after the reign of David, who's the second king. And we see that again from... From chapters 1 to 4, uh, that, that period of the, of the judges, from reading from chapters 1 to 4, it covers a period of about 12 years, uh, give or take maybe a year or two. But it covers a period of about 12 years. The Book of Ruth is a historical book. As we go through it, uh, it's among many things, it, it's a historical book. Uh, so these events that we're going to read about, they're, they're true events. They, they really did happen. Uh, but also, more than anything, and, and, and it's mostly known because it's a book of romance. You know, so it's kind of like a, you know, in Spanish, say a, a novella. You start reading through, it, and you're like, oh, it's this crazy love story, right? I mean, somebody could easily make an awesome movie out of this, you know, and probably, uh, you know, sell out at the at the movie theater. It's it's an awesome love story, and it's a, and it's really a love story that God ordained. And so, it's a it's a wonderful story of redemption and love. And you may be thinking, man, how come we're reading a love story tonight? And well, really, because it, you're gonna see, it applies to our life. Today, right, and because of the certain things that happened to Ruth and with Ruth and through Ruth, uh, we, we see that, that that it impacts us uh, today and it impacts the whole nation of Israel and it has impacted us today and the whole world forever, pretty much, right? It's important because in it we see the sovereignty of God, we see the grace of God being extended uh, as He extends salvation to to a whole other people group with no partiality, and again, this love story was going to affect the whole world. Uh, as it pertains to Jesus the Messiah. And we'll, we'll get into it as, as we go through the verses. But with that, uh, let's go to chapter 1, verse verse 1. And it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. 
The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Uh, they were Ephraites of Bethlehem and Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. Now her two sons took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And so here's Ruth now. She's left with just her two daughters-in-law. Uh, they, they, they go to the, to, to, the, to, the, to the land of Moab. And, um, she, and so Ruth's husband dies. You know, she has her two sons. And then they both die. But they, they, get, up, they get married before they die. So now she's left with, uh, with, her, with her two daughters-in-law. Ruth, um, Orpah. I mean, yeah, Ruth and Orpah. And, and it's Naomi. And so we're told, you know, the, the, the chapter starts with, with in the days when the judges ruled. That's how it says, in the days of when the judges ruled. Now, again, we, have, we actually have a book in the Bible dedicated to this period of time of when the judges ruled. And it's called Judges. It's, uh, it's the book right before Ruth. And so if you, go through, if you ever read through the book of Judges, um, you read through that book and you see that it was a time of just complete chaos. Right, because there was no king in Israel, there was no there was no order. Uh, it was just complete chaos, complete anarchy. It was like a every man for himself type of thing. There was complete lawlessness because there was no king in Israel. Now it was it was actually meant to be set up that way, but the people just took it the wrong route because the nation of Israel was was set up to be a theocracy, which means uh, you know it was a people that, that was to be ruled uh, governed. By God, that's what the, the the word theocracy means, right? We live in a in a democracy where where where, the, where where we live in a government that's you know supposedly supposed to be governed by the people. We vote, we vote in the the politicians, we vote in the the, the, the bills, the the laws that get passed, and so this is considered a democracy, right? But the nation of Israel was set up, God set it up so it could be a theocracy, meaning that the people were going to answer directly to God. God was going to be their king. He was going to rule the land. He was going to speak through, through his judges to the people, right? And so they had God as their king, but yet they rejected the authority of, of the men who, who, whom God placed on the earth and amongst them, which is the judges. And even the judges were corrupt. I mean, if you study through it, if you read through the, through the book of Judges, man, these guys were just man, in it for themselves, somewhere for the, for the money, for the position. They were just corrupt. Right, and so it, it took the nation of Israel down down a dark road. It was just complete anarchy. And as you read through the book of Judges, there's there, there's one verse or there's a there's a, a phrase that pretty much sums up the whole period of the judges. And it's this: there in Judges 21, 21, 25, it says, "In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes." And, and that phrase right there pretty much sums up the whole period of when the judges ruled. That that there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right. In their own eyes, meaning that truth was was subjective. It wasn't it wasn't absolute. Meaning, hey man, if you think it's right to do this, you know, and then, then who, who am I to say that's not that's not right? We're man, we're, we're close to something to to live in a, in a world like that, right? I mean, you have people who are getting you know a, a blacklist or canceled for for saying things that are that are you know, politically incorrect, and it's like now you know there's like no sense of of truth. There's no absolute truth. It's like we live in a society where, hey man, your truth is your own truth and my truth is my own truth and there is no absolute truth, right? And, and it's like, man, we see the nation kind of going that route, at least in the mentality-wise, right? But the, the, this period of the judges was defined by this phrase that there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as you read through that book again, you read about some crazy things happening. I mean, some, some heavy, crazy, just weird stuff going on. 
But yet, the, the Bible records these things for us again, so we could, uh, it, it gives us an insight into, into, into what was going on at the time. So it was some, some, some dark times for the nation of Israel, to, to, to say the least. And, but it's during this time, during this, these dark times, during this time of anarchy, during this time of lawlessness, during this time of just of chaos, that, that this wonderful story takes place in the midst of it all. Right? It's during this time that, 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 that this beautiful story takes place, and, and we see really that it's proof that God is always working in the background. No matter what the uh, surface might look like, man, complete chaos. You look around you, everyone's doing whatever they think is right, you know, whether completely wrong or not. Everyone's just in it for themselves. And yet in the background, in the, in, in the back of this dark surface is God working, right? And it's like he's working behind the curtains. And, and really, it, it, it's proof that, that God is always working in the background. No matter how dark things may look, no matter how chaotic things may look, no matter how uh, just... <laughs> Crazy and you know, and lawless things may look. No matter how dark they may look, again, God is working in the background, right? He's working in the unseen, even when things may look their darkest. God is in control, and so one of the main themes of this book is, hey, God is in control, no matter what the outward circumstance may look like, no matter how dark it may look like. And so, we're, we're as we continue reading there in those in those verses, we're introduced to a family, and we're told that the that the husband's name uh, is Elimelech, which means God is king. And uh, his wife's name is Naomi, which in the Hebrew uh, means pleasant. And then we're told that they had two sons named Malon and Chilion. Now, for the Jewish culture, you know, it's very, uh, it's very common for them to name their kids uh, after you know some some type of uh, uh, trait or or character trait that they have. If you guys remember, as we were studying the book of Genesis, you know, when, when we came to the to the characters of uh, Jacob and Esau, you know, they were they were named after uh, after some character trait. Uh, Esau in the Hebrew means a hairy. You know, he he was born a hairy baby, so they called him hairy. You know, which is what Esau means. And then uh, Jacob was was born uh, holding on to his brother's heel, so they, they called him hill catcher, which it's just what what Jacob means. Jacob in the in the Hebrew. And so these these kids, uh, Milon and Chilion, uh, I forgot which one's which, but one of them means sickly, and the other one means piney. So here's these two kids, man, sickly and piney. It's like they had no, no, man, they had no, no hope. You know, right from the womb, they were born sick and piney. And so they named them sick and piney, uh, Malon and Chilion. And so we're told also that, that they were uh, Ephrathites, meaning that they were of the tribe of Ephraim. If you guys remember Abraham, uh, when we finished off there in the book of Genesis, uh, we, we, left the, we left the book of Genesis with Abraham and his 12 sons. You know, and which ended up being the 12 tribes of Israel. One of them being Israel, I mean, one of them being Ephraim. And so this family that we're reading about, they're from the they're, they're descendants from the tribe of Ephraim, right? And so they're, they're called Ephrathites. And we're told that because of a severe famine in the land, they left and they went to Moab, which is another land, a pagan land, which is they were actually their enemies. They were like Israel's sworn enemies, right? Now, interesting that, 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 that here they are. Here's this family of, 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 uh, of Elimelech, you know, his whole family, and they're living in, in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem in Judah, which is God's promised land. The, the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. And, and they're experiencing famine in the house of bread. You know, in the, in the, in the land where, 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 where God had given to them and, and had promised to bless them with food in abundance. Yet they were experiencing a famine. Now, it's, it's interesting you know, that, that, the, that, that in the Bible, there in the Old Testament, uh, God he speaks to Moses right before the, the nation of Israel goes into to inherit their land and he pretty much just sets up this you know this uh, uh, cause and effect type of thing he says look if you guys obey my commands this that and the other I'm going to bless you you know the land's going to go good if you if you give the land its rest it's going to be fruitful you know if you guys do this then that it's like this this 
positive cause and effect, but there was also a negative cause and effect. They say, look, he also told me, if you rebel against me, if you rebel against my commands, if you, if each man goes after his own sin and, and after all these other, you know, uh, pagan gods, uh, false gods, then you're going to reap, you know, what you're sowing, meaning you're going to reap the, 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 the circumstances of those things. And so the nation of Israel right now is experiencing a severe famine. When it says severe famine, I mean, I don't think we can relate to that because we've never been through a severe famine. I mean, maybe uh, during the days of the Great Depression, you know, maybe those people could, could, could kind of relate. But us, I mean, we've gone hungry maybe a day, a couple of days. I mean, we, not, not to say we haven't had our times, but these guys were experiencing a severe famine. And for a, a nation that, that, that lives off of uh, agriculture, I mean, it said a lot, right? Because everything revolved around their agriculture, their, their, their harvest, right? And so they were experiencing a, a severe famine. And so because they were experiencing the severe famine, it caused them to move from God's promised land, God's place of blessing, into a foreign land. A, a, a land that, that, that God had actually uh, cautioned them to, to, to not go into. He told them, hey, don't intermingle with these people. Don't let your, your, your young men marry their young women. Don't let your young women marry their young men. You know, vice versa. Why? Because these guys were, were involved in all kinds of uh, really satanic, uh, uh, false god worship. They had all these little idols. They had, you know, all kinds of wicked stuff that they were doing. Uh, they had to try to kill off the nation of Israel before they got into the promised land. As they were wandering through the desert for 40 years, it was, it was uh, the, the Moabites and the Amalekites who would come up against them. And the Bible tells us that the Amalekites and the Moabites, when, when they would see the nation of Israel just traveling through, through the wilderness... You know, they would they would see like some stragglers behind the weak ones, the older ones, the tired ones, and they would see the stragglers, and they would begin to attack all the people in the back, all the stragglers. These are they're wicked, man. They're trying to get rid of these guys. But yet here's um, Elimelech. They're experiencing this famine, and so he takes his family out of this place of blessing into a foreign land. Now, really, what was going on is that God was dealing with them because of the rebellion as a nation, right? But they weren't willing to endure God's dealings. And so instead of, of staying in God's promised land, they left for a pagan land to find help and refuge there. Now that says a lot. Why? Because we could apply that to our spiritual walks. And, and, and I mean, sometimes it looks like our spiritual walks, right? When we go through some rough patches, we're walking with the Lord. We think, hey man, well, I'm a Christian now. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm right. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm supposed to be, you know, living in, you know, in victory, all these things. And it's true. I mean, we're, the Lord gives us the victory over death and sin and, and all these things in our life. Right? But it doesn't mean that we're exempt from suffering on this, on, this earth, on this world. Why? Because we live in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world. And even though you know, we're doing the right thing, hey man, everyone around us is, is probably not. Right? And so we're, we're living and we're being affected by, by the, someone else's sins or someone else's bad decisions or even our, our bad decisions from the past or, or, that, or that we still did even as Christians. And so we live in a fallen world. So that doesn't mean that we're exempt from any type of suffering. But sometimes you know, we, we go through this kind of this, this famine, this severe famine in our spiritual walk, and, and, and really we don't understand that God's trying to, to minister to us through it, right? And, and what we do is that we tap out, we're like, oh man, I'm out here, I can't take this anymore, this isn't for me, right? This whole being a Christian thing, this whole walking with the Lord thing isn't for me, it's not what I thought it was going to be, I'm, I'm going to go to Moab, you know, I'm going to go find happiness somewhere else, find what I'm looking for somewhere else, you know, find refuge somewhere, somewhere else, find my food, my provision somewhere else, other than, you know, the place where God told me that He was going to bless me with, which is a relationship with Him, right? And so we could do that in our lives as well. And we tap out and we never find out what it is that God wanted to do to us and through us and in us if we would have just, you know, endured that trial, endured that, that, that famine in our lives. And so we're told that as, as they leave Bethlehem, the place, you know, the, the promised land where, where God told them, you know, to, to dwell, they leave Bethlehem and they go into this pagan land of Moab. And as they're over there, 
uh, we're told that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And so Elimelech dies. And then we see that a short trip. I mean, they went there just for the family. They're like, oh, they probably thought we're just going to get away for a little bit, a few years. You know, maybe you, uh, make some money, come back. You know, but they ended up staying for 10 years. A short trip ended up, ended up uh, lasting 10 whole years. And so in that span of 10 years, Elimelech dies. And then we're told that, that Naomi, uh, she's left with her two, with her two uh, sons who marry pagan women. And then those guys die. Now, for them to go into Moab was already, all right, man, they're in rebellion against God. But then for them to go into Moab and then uh, allow their two sons to marry these Moabite women, they're like in direct rebellion against God. You know, so it, it would have been something that was like really looked down upon you know, in their culture, because especially them being uh, Israelites. Right? They were going against, against what God had directly told them uh, not to do. They're like, man, they, they, they still married these women. And so they left God's land to a pagan land in hopes of finding something better. And yet, but yet they suffered more hardship. Man, it could be like that sometimes. Right? We're, we're, we're walking with the Lord and it's like all of a sudden, man, the grass looks greener on the other side. Man, I feel like I had more money when I, was, when I wasn't walking with the Lord. Man, I feel like, you know, things were better when, when I wasn't a Christian. Man, I feel like, you know, I had more peace. And it's like... There's this illusion in our minds where we think, man, it used to be better when back to whatever, you fill in the blank. All right, sometimes we go back to it and we realize, like, man, no, it wasn't. What was I missing, man? I wasn't missing out on anything. But this is something we learned the hard way. So these guys learned the hard way. They went to Moab and searched for refuge and they just experienced more hardship. And so here's Naomi now. She left with her two daughters, one by the name of Orpah and the other one by the name of Ruth, who's going to be uh, now the central character of this, of this story, right? Now, um, we see that, that, uh, that again, watch it, let's go to verse 6. So continue on in verse 6, it says, Then she, uh, which Naomi, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people back in Judah by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on, they went on their way to, to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each, each one of you guys to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and with the dead. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and, and they lifted up their voices and they wept. And so let's stop right there. And so here's Naomi now. Again, she, saw, she suffers huge loss. Her two sons die. Her husband dies. She left the widow. She's left childless. She's only left with these with, with her two daughters-in-law. And so, what does she do, man? For in their culture, for for a, a woman to be a single mother and, and and a widow, I mean, it's like, dude, it's like it's it would have been, you know, they would have considered her like cursed by God, right? Because in that culture, there's not a lot of things that the, that the woman could have done, could have do. You know, they couldn't go out there and start their own business, do that, do the other. It's like they depended on their husband. Uh, Naomi's going to say later on, you know, in a few verses, she's like, hey, she was older, she was up there in age, she had no hopes of finding a new husband and starting all over. For her, it was like her world just came collapsing down. Her husband dies, kids die, she's left now with these two daughters-in-law, not just any daughters-in-law, but Moabite daughters-in-law, pagan daughters-in-law. She's like the shame, you know, like the talk of the town type of thing, right? If, if, man, if they only knew what she was up to over there, she would have been like blacklisted type of thing. And so here she is now. She wants to return back to Bethlehem and Judah because she hears that, hey man, God, God's blessing him. Right? Ten, ten years later and, and, and God's been blessing him. And so she, she desires to go back to her homeland. And then we see that, again, Naomi hears that God has blessed his people with grain. So she decides to go back home. And really, uh, it's something that the Lord had, had promised him. Again, this, this cause and effect type of thing. 
He told him there in Leviticus 20, 24, uh, God speaking to the nation, he says, But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. And so we see that as they were going into this promised land, uh, God had promised to take care of them while they remained in the land. God promised them, right? And so here they are, they're experiencing famine, but they could have just held on to God's word and say, Lord, you promised. Lord, you said. Lord, you're not a liar. Lord, we're experiencing famine, but you know what? We're going to trust you. We're experiencing hardship, but you know what, God? We're going to trust you. You're not a liar. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is not like a man, you know, that he should lie. Right? He's never lied. It goes against who he, who he is. If God lied once, then it wouldn't make him God anymore. And we have we could close the book right now, close up shop, and never come back because it, it, this faith wouldn't, wouldn't be worth trusting in, believing in, walking after, right? Committing to if God was a liar. If anything in his word he said was not true. Right, there's any errors, if there's any contradiction, if there's any you know false claims in this book. Again, we could close up shop right now and just everyone go back to whatever it is that they were doing before this because it wouldn't be worth following. But God is not a liar, and so He promises people, Look, is I'm gonna bless you in this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's just fruitful, it's just abundantly fruitful. And so, but, but we see that, that Naomi and her husband, her family they didn't trust God, they fled to, to a mobile country and they experienced hardship. And now we see that Naomi. She wants to go back home to her homeland. We're told that she blesses her daughters-in-law. Now, keep in mind, they're probably very close. You know, yeah, they're Moabite women, but they're probably, you know, at this point, Ruth, uh, Orpah, and, and Naomi are probably very close. Here's just three women left at the home. All of their husbands died. You know, Naomi's two sons and her husband died, but all of them experienced, you know, the death of their husbands. So they had to just stick together. And here's, they probably lived with each other for I don't know how long, right? So these women became very close. And so we're told that, 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 they, that they began to weep when Naomi said, you guys just go your own way. Why? Because they, had, they were heartbroken. Man, they had genuine love and care for one another. And now, and you know, here's Naomi. She says, man, just go, go on your way. May the Lord bless you. Right? Naomi tells the girls to go back home and to, and to, and to, and to try to remarry. She says, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. And he says, the Lord grant you that you may find rest. Each in the house of her husband. Meaning, Naomi's blessing. She's saying, look, man, just, just go back home. You know, I hope you guys find a, 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 a husband and get to remarry. You know, continue on with your lives. For me, that's it. It's done. I'm, I'm, I'm over, right? It, it's, there's no hope for me. And, and, and really what Naomi's doing is that, is that she's freeing them from any obligation to her. Which is, man, really an act of love. Because in, in their culture, under Jewish tradition, the women were to remarry the closest male relative in order to keep the family name going, right? So if, if so traditionally in their culture, I mean, they, they had to, you know, by culture, by, by tradition, they had to stay with Ruth until, you know, either she remarries and has another son or, or something because it, it was, it's a big deal for them to continue on, to carry on the family name, right? So they were to, to marry the, the nearest uh, male relative uh, um, in order to, single, single male relative, in order to keep the, the, the family name going or else, I mean, for a Jewish man to lose his, to lose his inheritance, to lose his, his heritage, to, for, for a name to be cut off and not have a son uh, uh, to carry on his, his last name, it would have been shameful. It would have been like, uh, man, it cur- like, like, they would have considered him cursed. So what Naomi's doing is out of love, she's saying, you know what, just, you guys go your own way. You have no obligation to me. You know, I, I, I pray to God that you guys get remarried and continue on with your lives. She loves these girls, right? And so we see that, that Naomi shows love to them by releasing them from any obligation. And, I mean, keep in mind, you know, they're Moabites. They had no reason to, 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 keep the, to, to keep the tradition anyway. They're Moabite women. They're pagan women. And so Naomi 
uh, again, she just she lets him go. Right? She says, hey, you guys can go on your way. I mean, that's, that's love. right? She's doing it out of love. But notice her response. And then verse 10. It says, and they said, to her, they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. I mean, man, we'll go back with you, Naomi. But Naomi said, verse 11, no, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your, your husbands? She says, turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should bear, also bear sons, what, are you guys going to wait till they're old enough to marry them? So would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? She says, no, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But notice this, but Ruth, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. We'll stop right there. And so we see that, that, that Naomi now, she sends them on her way. She tells them, look, I'm too old. You know, and even, even, if, I, even if, I, if, I, if I remarried today and had a kid, are you guys going to wait till they're old enough and marry them? Are you going to be 30 years older than, than them? You know, and she's saying, look, there's no hope. Just go back. Right? Just, 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 just go back. And so we see that, that Orpah returns to her people. Right? She returns to her people and she returns. Notice what it says. To her gods. Keep in mind, these are Moabite women. They, they, were, they were raised in, you know, in a different uh, religion, so to say, different type of worship. They worshipped all kinds of uh, other uh, false gods uh, in some wicked ways, too. I mean, man, uh, a lot of the ways they did they were worshiping were just, you know, had a, a, was very just uh, uh, perverted. You know, they, they had all kinds of stuff going on. And so we see that Orpah returns to her own people, to her own land, to her own family, and to her own gods. Right? But Ruth, we're told that Ruth clung to her, meaning she was saying, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go. So Ruth refused to go back home. Ruth refused to, to go back to her people, to her land, and to her gods. But she clung to, to Naomi. She said, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to be by your side. I'm going to stick with you. Man, that's character right there, man. That, that's, that's hardcore right there, right? And Ruth, and Naomi said, look, man, your, your sister-in-law left. Why don't you just go with her? She says, no, she, she, she clung to her. And verse 16 says, but Ruth said, now notice what she says. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. And, and there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death, but death comes between us. If anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. I mean, all right, Naomi said, look, Ruth's determined to come with me, right? She said it in her heart to come with me, so she, she, stopped, she, she stopped begging her. She stopped trying to convince her. But man, just notice, notice Ruth's heart, right? What was, what was, what was the, the intention of her heart? We're told that, you know, she told Naomi, look, I'm going to go with you. She's like, I don't care about my people. Say, your people are my people. She says, I don't care about, 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 about where you live, if you have anywhere to live. If you're on the street, she's saying, man, I'll, I'll, I'll be wherever you're at. She's like, it doesn't matter to me. Right? And then more than this, she says, your God will be my God. She's been already living with them for some time. right? She's, she's, married, she's married into this Jewish family, into this Hebrew family. They have a different you know, uh, uh, religious system or uh, system of worship. Right? They obviously serve a different God. They serve the one true God, very different from the Moabite people. And, and we see that Ruth has seen a glimpse of this. And, 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 and she's, she's making a conscious decision to serve God, to worship God, the God of the Hebrews. Say, no, she said, your God will be my God. 
Right? Your people will be my people. Meaning, she's saying, I want to be with God's people. I want to be with your people. I want God to be my God. That's heavy. And really, this is why, you know, God has just used her. Is going to use her just so mightily. Because of that decision that, that she made. What she's really doing is that she's turning away from her old traditions. From everything she knew that she was false. In order to go after the true. Right? The one true God. That's what she's doing. And so she goes back with, uh, with, with Naomi. And now they're, gonna, they're, they're journeying back home. And we're told there in verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. So back home where they, where they left from the, from the beginning. It says, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And, they, and the woman said, is that Naomi? They haven't seen her in 10 years. Right? They haven't seen her in 10 years. They still were walking. And there's everyone saying, man, is that Naomi? Could that be? We haven't seen her in so long. Could that be Naomi? Right? And verse 20 said, but she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And really that's a play on words because again, Naomi means pleasant. And, and, and the word Mara means bitter. So as she's, as she's coming in, they're saying, hey, is that Naomi? Is that pleasant that we see walking over here? And she said, no, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because the Lord's dealt with me bitterly. You know? So she's, she, she's very emotional. Right? And verse 20, uh, verse 21 says, I went out full and the Lord has, has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi or why do you call me pleasant since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from, from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so in the context, keep in mind what's going on. Ruth, I mean, uh, Naomi leaves with her husband, her, her two boys. They leave, right, in order to find help, in order to find refuge, in order to, you know, make, make, a, make a name for themselves, do good. Right? And in this foreign land. And now she comes back. They haven't seen her for 10 years. And here Naomi comes back. She's got no husband no more. She's got no sons anymore. And she comes back. Not just with no husband, with no son, and with nothing. Poor. But she comes back with a, with a pagan Moabite woman, woman who was, who's her, her, her daughter-in-law. So it's like she's doing like the walk of shame right now. Everyone's here. Hey, is that pleasant? Don't call me pleasant. I'm bitter. God's, God's, God's you know, dealt with me bitterly. And so we see... One thing that stands out to me about, about Naomi's life is that she recognizes, you know, I mean, I don't think that this was God directly, you know, causing these things to happen to her specifically. But, 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 but Naomi's, I mean, Naomi's recognizing, man, I, I know that this, I know that the God is in control. I know that God has allowed these things to come upon me, you know, these bitter things to come upon me. But yet she still returned back home to, to the land of her God, you know, to worship her God with her own people. I love that because Naomi could have been, ah, God, you. I curse you. You took my husband. You took my son. You took my other son. You took everything I had. Now I'm walking back shameful with this mobile woman. Right? But instead, no, what does she do? She goes back to her homeland. She faces the, She faces life. And she's not blaming God. She's saying, look, man, God's dealt bitter, bitterly with me. So I recognize it. But she's not blaming God. She's not mad at God. She's not, you know, doing anything. She's just, she's biting the bullet, we'll say. Right? And she's going back home. But everyone's noticing her. Man, that's, that's, that's Naomi. She, she has a, a mobile woman with her. That's like, man, they're like, again, everyone's, it's, it's like all eyes on, on them, right? And so chapter 2 goes on to say, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. So remember, that Elimelech is, is Naomi's husband. And so as they, they go back to Bethlehem, it says, Now there happened to be a relative of Elimelech. You know, his name was Boaz. And so, so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please, let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, after him in whose sight I may find favor. 
And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And so what's going on here? As they're back in town, keep in mind, they have no jobs. They, they came back with nothing. They have no skills, right? They lost everything in Moab. They, there's no men for, to, to work for them, to provide for them. And so as they come back, uh, and Naomi's old. They're probably tired from the travel. They got nothing. They got nothing. But instead of just sitting around saying, all right, well, hopefully someone helps us out. Hopefully something happens. All right, you know, God's going to provide. No, what, what, does, what does Ruth do? She tells Naomi, Naomi, let me go out there and work. And now when it says glean the fields, uh, what she's referring to, you know, is, well, again, this is an agricultural society, an agricultural uh, uh, people, right? And so they, they, mainly, they mainly work crops. And interesting that in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God actually had this uh, kind of like a social welfare type of program. And, and so God's instruction to, to the people of Israel were when you have your crops, when you go and, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're gleaning and you're reaping your, your harvest, uh, God gave him a specific instruction. He says, if anything falls to the ground, don't pick it up. He says, and, 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 and leave the corners alone. Why? He says, so that the poor of the land can go behind you and work the field. And so God had, had this, 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 uh, this system in place for the poor and needy, right? So that as the poor and needy, they wouldn't be poor and needy because, you know, these guys who had fields and stuff, you know, they, they would leave all the, all the edges untrimmed. And if anything fell, fell from, the, from, the, from, the, from the stocks of grain, then they weren't to pick it up. It was against the law to pick it up. And so that's amazing because God provided a way for, for the poor of the land to, to eat, right? To, 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 to still provide for themselves. Even them being poor. I think that's amazing. I mean, I think if society today would adopt some type of, you know, social welfare system like that, where this is the way I think of it, you know. I mean, this is the way I imagine. If I was like L.A. city mayor or something or, you know, someone in authority and I had that type of power, I would do this. I would leave like the Caltrans jobs, you know. You know, I don't know if you guys ever got in trouble. You had to do hours at Caltrans. I remember one time I had to do like 80 hours at Caltrans. So I had to go every Saturday for like a whole year, uh, like a year and a half. And I remember I would go on Saturdays, and right, they put you to do the hardest work, trim the trees, like, man, and those guys just stand around. <laughs> and the, the actual workers, they just stand around, right? And I think, man, if, 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 if the government would, would, like, maybe, like, you know, have those jobs for homeless people or for someone who's really in need, and say, all right, man, if the homeless people want money, you know, they, they, wanna, they, want, they, want, they want to eat, well, here are these free jobs, and they can just go work for a day, work for a week, whatever, you know, make their money, and, and just they can do whatever they want with it. Instead of giving out handouts and stuff, you know, and, and enabling people to be on the street, well, that, that's how God worked it out, right? He didn't work out. He didn't work it out so that the, the poor people could have handouts or or, or checks every week. But He said, "No, look, if the poor people want to eat, uh, then then the guys who have the field, they're, they're, they they cancel the edges. The people, the poor guys, you know, all the people who are, who are, who are in debt, whatever, they could go and they could they could work the edges, you know, and they could pick up whatever falls on the ground. That's amazing. That's amazing because in the Bible, God has provided a way. You know, I mean, I think an awesome system." Right, that would just help everyone all around. The poor guys, I mean, the, the rich guys wouldn't get too rich because, again, they couldn't cheat there. You know, they, 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 they could only take so much. And then the, and the, the poor guys wouldn't be poor because whenever they wanted to, they could go work. And so what, they, what Ruth is saying, she's telling Naomi, look, we need, we're hungry, we need money. Let me go out there and work the fields. Let me go out there and, and glean behind the workers. So what she was going to do is that she was going to go behind the guys who were, who were reaping the harvest and just pick up all stuff that got. It was hard work. It was hard work. She's out there in the sun. She's a woman. It was hard work, right? But she was willing to go out there and work with her hands. And so we're told that as she goes out there, there, notice in verse 3, it says, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was a family of 
Elimelech. We know that with God, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens by coincidence. Nothing happens by, by circumstance. We know that God is sovereignly in control of everything. Keep in mind, remember what we were talking about earlier about the Jewish tradition, you know, that, that uh, if, if one, of their, one of the if the husbands die or the men die, right, they were to marry someone of, of, of you know, nearest relation, you know, who was, who was able to marry them. And is it a coincidence that all of a sudden they come back to the homeland, you know, uh, Ruth doesn't know anybody, and, and she goes out, to, out there to work the field, and it just happened that the field that she goes to ends up being one of the relatives of, of, of her deceased husband. That's not an accident. That's not by, by circumstance. That's not by chance. It's God just perfectly ordaining everything together. Right? And so here's, here's Ruth. She, gets, she ends up at this field, you know, at the field that belongs to Boaz, who was a rich guy, you know, and actually uh, uh, one of her, her, her husband's family members, her deceased husband's family, mem- family members. And now verse 4 says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. So he's kind of giving them a greeting. You know, like, good morning, guys. Here you go. Bless you guys. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is that? So he notices Ruth probably working hard, harder than anybody else. He, he notices Ruth and he says, hey, whose young woman is that? And the servant who, who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and so she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So again, man, that tells us about well, you know what, what, what kind of woman uh, Ruth was. She was a hard worker, you know. She was out there. One, she was modest. She was a woman of integrity. She was a woman who, who loved God, and she was a hard worker. You know, she had a big heart because we see that she wasn't willing to to leave this old woman uh, Naomi by herself. You know, she. You probably didn't want her to travel by herself either. But more than that, she says, no. She says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And you know what? Don't, don't worry, Naomi. Stay home. I'm going to go work. And I'm going to make uh, I'm, 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 I'm gonna make enough for both of us. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. Your husband's dead. You know, our, our, your kids are dead. But I'm going to provide for you. And so this is the type of woman that she was. Right? And so she stood out to, to Boaz. Boaz got there that morning. He's like, man, who's that? Who, who, whose girl is that? Who, who, who is she? Right? Obviously, she didn't recognize her. He didn't recognize her because she was from another country. And so they tell her, oh, that, that's, that's Ruth. She came back with, with Naomi. And, and they told her, man, she's been here since all morning. And she's been here all morning working. She took one lunch break, but she's been working hard all day. That's pretty much what they're saying. Right? And verse 8 says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Will you listen, my daughter? Will you not? Oh, no, she says, Will you listen, my daughter? Will you not? Do not glean. Do not go glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they, which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men to not touch you? And, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you don't even know, right? The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so as Ruth, as Ruth is there, she's working, Boaz confronts her and, and he tells her, look, just make sure you don't go to any other field. You could glean here all day long if you want and make sure you just stay, stay close by, uh, by, by my workers. So he has his own workers, right? Uh, Ruth was just one of those, those poor people who came and, and, and gleaned everything that, that, that they left behind, 
But Boaz is telling her, look, just, just stay by my workers, right? And hey, if you get hungry, if you get thirsty, you can go into the, the break room, right? My, my employee break room, go drink as much water as you want, go, do it, go get some food. And so he's telling her, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. Look, I told, I told no one to mess with you, right? I'm looking after you. That's what he's doing. He's looking after her. And she says, why? She thought, man, how can you treat me so kindly? And he says, hey, I've heard about you. I've heard about, about you know, what happened in Moab, how you know, Naomi's husband died, uh, how your husband died, and how you've taken care of her. And so, man, word has gotten around about this. She has a good reputation, right? There's a Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 31, right? And Proverbs chapter 31 describes... Uh, it's called chapter 31, Proverbs 31 from 10 and on. You know, it's this little section of the, of the Bible that describes the virtuous wife. And, and it gives all these descriptions of what a virtuous wife is. Right. And it goes on to say, I'm just going to read it right through. It says, who can find a, a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She will have no lack of gain. She does them good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it's still uh, night and while it's still dark and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard, meaning man, she's good with money. She's a good steward of money. Right? She's a hard worker. She's up in the morning early. And it says, verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. I mean, she's wise. She stretches out her hands to the, to, the, to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. And it says, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. And so just all these verses, right, that just describe what a virtuous wife is. And it goes on to say, verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, uh, for all her household is cold with scarlet. I mean, man, she, she, she thought in advance of them, you know, and she, she provided for her household, you know, so they won't be cold during the winter. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and her and on her tongue is a law of kindness. I mean, man, she everything she says, she's you know she thinks about what she says before she says it. She's wise, you know. She's kind in her words. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and, and let her own works praise her in the gates. So this whole chapter, this portion of the, of the chapter in Proverbs describes, you know, what a virtuous wife is or a virtuous woman. Amen. And just goes on to just uh, to, to exhort you know, this virtuous wife. Man, she's a hard worker. Man, she's wise. Man, she knows just what to say at the right time. Man, she's good with money. She's a good, you know, she is able to, to invest her finances. Right. And we see that, 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 that this woman, Ruth, is, man, she's, that's like descriptive of her, right? Hard worker, she's wise, she's kind, she's got a big heart, you know, she's, she's not selfish, she helps out the poor. It's like, man, this is just describing Ruth right here, right? We have just, and this is all to say, man, an awesome woman. It's like, man, who can I like her? Right? I'm reading through this, I'm like, man, she's, she's an awesome girl, right? She's got awesome traits. She's like, dude, who, who can't admire her, right? She's an awesome girl. And so we see that she gets favored with, with Boaz, right? And it goes on to say there in verse 13, it says, then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at, that, at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread 
in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she might glean and do not rebuke her. So he might, he's taking care of her. Right here it is. It's employee uh, lunch break time. And he says, here, Ruth, come on, just uh, come have lunch with us. And so he feeds her, right? And then, and then he, tells her, he tells his workers, right, you know, you know what? Let, let, let her go in there and glean even the places where, where you guys haven't gone, gone through yet. And, and, and when we share behind her, kind of, kind of shake the bundles a little bit, you know, make some stuff fall on purpose for her. So he, man, he's blessing her. He's looking out for her. Pretty much that's, that's all I was saying. He's looking out for her. Verse 17 says, So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, which is a lot. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw, saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out, she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. Remember a few verses before when she ate lunch with, the, with all, the, well, all the other workers, we're told that, that, that Boaz gave her, you know, he provided lunch for her, and, and we're told that she didn't eat her whole lunch. But she ate some, and then the rest she kind of she put it in a in a to go bag, and and, and it wasn't because she wanted it later, but she was saving it for her mother in law. She was saving it for Naomi. Man, she's just awesome, right? She thinks of everybody else before herself. She's amazing. And it says, in verse nineteen, and her mother in law said to her, "Where have you gleaned today, man? And where are you at? Yeah, you where'd you get all this stuff? And where did you go work? Where did you go work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you." And so she told her mother in law with whom she had worked. And said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. But keep in mind, Ruth doesn't know who he is, right? Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Man, blessed, blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other fields. Meaning, hey, my right, just stay on his field, right? He to his advice. So she, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the day, the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. We'll stop right there. Amazing. Just like right in the, like right in the middle of the story. But... From this, I mean, we could just see, again, God's sovereignty, God's control, God's just wisdom, you know, and God's provision over His people. Here's Ruth, the, here's Ruth the Moabitess, you know, she comes to people who don't even belong to her, right, who probably, a lot of them don't even like her because of who she is, because of where she's from, because of what their background is, background is because of what their, what their false religious system, you know, represents, and yet, she didn't care, she didn't care, she knew that. But she didn't care. She, she stuck with her mother-in-law. She took care of her. They, they, she, you know, she goes back home with her. She goes out to, and, and works and provides for her. And, and, and we see that not only did Boaz take notice, but God takes notice. Right? And we see that God was looking out for her. And it just so happened that, that, that God led her to the field of a close relative you know, from the, of theirs. Man, this is amazing. I'm going to go. I'm going to just give you guys a little... A little I'm going to jump ahead, you know, and just give you guys some, some nuggets because it's, it's too good to pass up. It's amazing because I, I mentioned that, that, uh, that Ruth, again, she's mentioned here in this chapter and in, in this book 12 times, right? The story's about her. But she's, get, she's mentioned again once in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. And the place of, uh, in the New Testament where she's mentioned is actually in the genealogy of Christ. And so she's actually one of the, one of the descendants, 
you know, of, of King David. Well, it's through her that they're going to have King David's dad, who eventually is going to have King David. And through him is going to come the Messiah. And, and it's amazing that God would include her in the lineage of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. This Moabite woman. Right? But man, this is just God's sovereignty and all that. God was looking way ahead. And this is all to say this. That, man, sometimes, again, in our present situation, we think, man, it's just so dark right now. Man, I just don't see the escape. Man, it's just, you know, so much chaos. Man, so much lawlessness. So much darkness. So much just craziness in my life right now. And you think, man, I'll never, I'll never get out of this, right? It's never going to end. But we got to keep in mind that it's seasons. It's seasons, man. And like, every, like any other season, they have a beginning and they have an end. And more than, more than that, God is working in the background. And, and God is working things out in the background that we wouldn't even believe, even if He told us, right? And, and I take comfort of that because things always don't look as you know they're brightest. And we can start looking around and even in our own lives and get discouraged and think, man, how, how's anything good going to come out of this, right? Man, how's God going to turn this one around? Man, what's what's the purpose of this? Man, what's the use of this? Wasted time, wasted circumstance, wasted whatever. But yeah, we know that God is working in the background. It doesn't mean that we're going to understand. Maybe not in this lifetime or maybe even maybe just maybe later on down the road. Or we may never, never understand God's purposes. But we can believe and we can trust that God is working in the background and the unseen no matter what. Amen. My Father, thank you so much.